Greetings, and welcome to the Tapestry Podcast. My name is Chris Turner. Tapestry is the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. Joining me today is Ryan North, the Executive Director of Tapestry. How are you, Ryan? Hey, Chris. I'm great. How are you today? I'm well. Awesome. Last time we uh, started talking about uh, the five B's and how those uh, affect our children from hard places. Uh, Those are brain, biology, body, beliefs, and behavior. And we went through the brain. We wanted to pick up today and talk about the other four. So, Ryan, uh, how does being from a hard place affect our kids' biology? Okay. Before we get to biology, can I just add just a couple more things in brain? Sure. Because I know we spent a lot of time uh, on the brain last time um, because it's it's very important, obviously, and um, hard places have do have a great impact on the brain. So um, there was a Canadian scientist by the name of Jacob Hebb, and he, he coined this phrase which we refer to as the Hebbian principle, and that is what that which fires together, wires together, right? So experiences create memories, right? So when we do something, uh, neurons fire, and they then wire together. That's why uh, when we talk in terms of, you know, you have muscle memory for a task, right? Um, that's because every time you hit the golf ball, neurons are firing, and then you're wiring how to hit a golf ball. That's why when you p- practice, you get better at something because you literally are firing neurons in your brain, and then the what's necessary to, to perform the task is wiring together, right? Have you ever, this is my favorite illustration of it, have you ever been anywhere like uh, you arrived somewhere, and then you thought, how did I get here? <laughs> you don't have any memories of the trip, right? You remember getting in the car, you remember driving out the neighborhood, and then you remember pulling into the church's parking lot. We have a small group that we're part of here at the church, and for years, we'd drive together as a family, and when I was coaching during soccer season, there were some nights when I just met the family there, and on those nights, my wife had to drive. Well, where we used to live, she had to head east and then across town, um, but then there was some new road construction and a, and a new road opened that was closer to our home. And so for about six months, we would drive the new way, which was, it was about 10 minutes shorter. And But she never drove. She was only a, pa- a passenger in the car. So she's not an active participant. She's just passive. So uh, her neurons were not firing and wiring the new, ru- the new route. And then one night um, I had to meet them there and she was driving and went the old way, just went straight past the exit for the shorter way. Because she wasn't, she was just driving, right? She wasn't actively thinking about it, following directions or anything like that. And so we met them there, and she said, you know what happened on the way here? I went the longer way, because that's the only way I've ever driven to their house. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, said, so, oh, yeah, wire together, fire together. We kind of giggled about it. And then when we left, um, we, pulled, we pulled out of the neighborhood, and I went, I was behind her, and she turned right at the light, and I turned left. <laughs> and I said, I called her, I said, where are you going? She said, oh, just just home. <laughs> So just her experience of driving to, between their home and ours, she went the way she, she knew, mm-hmm. right? And so here's an example of that for our kids. Uh, if you come from a home with, that is really sort of volatile and there are people yelling at each other and when people yell at each other, things start flying throwing, and, and violence erupts. Well, when you get to my house and yelling is just um, either... Uh, an expression of my frustration or a way that I communicate that I'm really serious about this when I raise my voice. My kid doesn't process that as dad's just emphatic. Dad just wants me to hear. He's just being loud. He gets in his response to that is, oh, no, I know what happens when people start yelling. Mm -hmm. People get hurt. 
and understanding that our kids' experiences and history inform how they deal with the moment is so crucial to having the empathy you need to be the parent you need to be for your kid. So uh, just before we moved on from brains, I know we didn't get to that last time, but this understanding that, that which fires together, wires together as a principle and our experiences inform how we react to things is very important. So biology, altered neurochemistry. And so, you know, we spoke about that uh, a couple of episodes ago, you know, the prenatal stress and measuring cortisol levels in, in moms at six months right. uh, in their pregnancy. And then a month after uh, the baby was born in the baby, you know, when you're living in a constant state of fear in an environment where you feel like your life is in danger and it's a high stress environment, you're going to have an uh, abnormal production of cortisol. Um, there's a video on the Empire to Connect site where Dr. Purvis talks about neurochemistry. It's about 10 minutes, and one of our kiddos was part of a study some years ago. Um, they tested her, um, a bunch of indicators in, in, in her system, a bunch of stress hormones and things like that, and then asked us to parent Empower to Connect style for 12 months consistently, and then they tested to see if there was evidence that a lot of the stress indicators in her system were lower. I'm happy to report that they were, but the problem with doing the neuro testing is you really people who have had it done tend to focus on only that part of the puzzle mm-hmm. and try to solve that part of the puzzle because you know if you have a medical report you can you know, they have a diagnosis and a diagnosis can be medication can be prescribed and we ignore a lot of the other relational things it does affect their neurochemistry you have to be aware of that you have to understand that because of how those hard places have impacted our kids, that they will react differently than you might react in that situation, differently than you think they might act in that situation. So understanding that uh, is, again, a key component to having empathy for them, but the risk of it is is focusing on it and, and thinking that all of the answers lie in that component of who our kids are. Right. And we will con- we'll talk uh, on a future podcast a little more in-depth on that sort of stuff and provide uh, parents with resources that they yeah. could tap into and maybe even cut out a clip from one of the videos and, and, and edit edit in the audio because uh, she does a great job explaining it um, as she always does you know even with um, the PhD she still is able to you know communicate a level that, that just regular folks like us can understand so moving on we still have uh, three more to work through how do uh, how's the history of a hard place affect our ch- our kids bodies so altered physical development and then also uh, it impacts their ability to deal with sensory processing a lot of our kids in terms of physical development are to the left of the growth chart right right or not even on the, the don't even come under the normal bell curve distribution for growth in children and so a lot of that is because of malnutrition uh, both in utero and after they're born so their actual physical presence has been altered by these hard places and they tend to be to the left of of normal development in that distribution. The other thing that it does is their sensory processing input. And so here's an example. Um, one of our sons, and, and I tell this story to, to people with his permission, He not too long after he, he came home and he was getting older, when kids get older, and particularly we've noticed this with our boys, they want to transition from taking a bath to showering. Um, I don't know if that's when they get involved in sports, they associated that with being an athlete or whatever. Our girls still like bathing, but... Our boys want to shower, so he wants to start showering. Okay, so um, go up there, and I'll start the shower for him. And we went back downstairs and um, showed him how to turn turn the shower off. And he, he took his shower, and he came downstairs a little while later, and I noticed his hair was dry. And I said, 
hey, did you wash your hair? <laughs> yes. I said, rookie parenting mistake. <laughs> did you wash your hair? I can see that he didn't, but I asked him. So um, that's my bad. I gave him an opportunity to lie, which, which you have to be careful with with our kids because when you're training, when you're giving your, your child more opportunities to lie, uh, all you're doing is help them become a better liar. And that is my responsibility to bear. I can see his hair is dry. I shouldn't have asked him. So we get in the conversation and I said, uh, but I can see you didn't wash your hair. No, I did. And so I said, come here and kind of like, I sniffed his hair and it, and it smelled like sweat, like he'd been running around. It didn't smell like, you know, organic. Whatever the shampoo was. Yeah, right? organic coconuts from Rwanda or, where, or wherever, you know, free trade shampoo, whatever we buy at our house now. And so um, I'm like, no, you got to wash your hair. Oh, yeah, wash your hair. So um, the next time he takes a shower, kind of the same thing. So a few nights later, I'm like, uh, I, I start the shower, I leave, I shut the door, and I just wait. And a couple of minutes later, I kind of crack the door. And he is standing, fully clothed, just in the bathroom. <laughs> he's just letting the water run. He's not even getting in the shower <laughs> and coming downstairs. You know, he's like counting to 100 and turning the water off or something, right? And so I said, why aren't you showering? Well, you know, it, we kind of went back and forth. But finally, at the end of it, he said, I don't like the way it feels. Mm. Well, what do you mean you don't like the way it feels? He said, when the water hits my skin, it feels like pins pricking me and it hurts. Mm. And so he went back to, to taking a bath and uh, for years. And as he got older, um, he showers now. That's, that's his, his, his bathing preference. But it took a long time for him. So the good news is there that, yes, we can process our ways through issues. But because of his history of a hard place, his body reacted differently to the sensory inputs, right? That's something you wouldn't think would be Yeah, I mean, we never got any thought problem. to it. Yeah. Which then meant that if we were outside in the rain, and the rain hit his skin, that hurt him. Mm. I mean, things we just really wouldn't give any, any thought to. Um, and then, you know, again, we can get into sensory processing and vestibular and proprioceptive and all those things and what they mean and examples of that at, at a different time. But the body's ability to process sensory inputs are altered. Like, think about um, one of the worst things that we can do for our children is take them to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> It is just such sensory overload, and I took them to Chuck E. Cheese, and uh, and for me, it's just it's too it's just loud, and the lights and the dinging stuff, and this is so the much constant dinging. Yeah, there's, there's it so is much always stuff. Dinging. Yes, those games and the tickets, and, and and just so much going on, and so I threw the kids with me, and I was I was kind of just sitting in the spot with like the cups of coins, and so they'd just come back and run and get more coins when they needed them, but I was watching our. Um, our son, uh, who was probably five or six at the time, and I noticed that he wasn't having fun. He was literally sitting with his hands over his ears and rocking back and forth. But that's how he was coping with the sensory mm-hmm. inputs. And so we don't we don't do that anymore. If it's a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, we generally politely decline. Uh, we've gone to the store and purchased some um, uh, earmuffs, maybe that what you collect, like like mm-hmm. like for the gun range, like the, right. the, the heavy duty high decibel stuff that you use when you shoot guns. And um, we have uh, some of the kids sometimes like eat dinner with those, and they're able to to do that. Uh, my niece, when she comes over, uh, and we have like you know a Christmas dinner or something, she sat and had Christmas dinner with them. It was a much more pleasant experience for her. Right. I guess what I'm trying to say is that our kids' ability to process the environment around them is a higher instance in the population that's from a hard place as opposed to the population that's not from a hard place. There's a higher instance of them struggling being able to process that environment around them. So that's one of the, that's there's a couple of the ways that um, a hard place impacts um, impacts our kids' bodies. 
The one we really wanted to focus on today was beliefs, because beliefs inform behavior, which is the last one. So, Ryan, let's talk about uh, how the history of a hard place affects our kids' beliefs. Let's just talk about what they believe, right? So if you're a kid from a hard place and you can kind of fill in the blanks on, you know, what, let's say all six on that list, um, you will start to believe something. So if somebody physically abuses you, one of the things you believe is that um, they don't love you. And then once you believe that, you ask yourself, why don't they love me? And you come with this conclusion, because I'm not worthy of being loved. So a lot of our kids come to us believing that they're not, they're not lovable, they're not worthy of being loved. Adults are not safe. Adults cannot be trusted. Those beliefs become their deeply held beliefs and their sort of core core beliefs about life. And that includes those beliefs are transferred. So uh, adults are not safe. Well, you're an adult. Therefore, you must not be safe. And so there's this relational deficit that we have to redeem with our children that we, we didn't inflict the harm. We're not the cause of that relational deficit, but it is our responsibility for them and for us together to redeem that. And understanding our kids' belief systems is key in doing that. So our kids come with beliefs about uh, parents, caregivers, relationships themselves, God, you know, a lot of things that we have to redeem in, in the beliefs department with our children that we didn't do anything to to create those beliefs. Now, another thing about those belief systems is born from those belief systems are the survival tactics right. that our kids will have. Right? I don't believe that I will have access to food every time I'm hungry, therefore I must steal food. I don't believe that adults are trustworthy, therefore I must lie. I don't believe that adults act in their best interest, therefore I will mislead. Uh, you know, all of those things. And so when... We look at our kids and go, man, he sure lies a lot. Okay. But if you understand where that's coming from, right. I'm not saying it makes it easier every day because there, there are days that I still struggle mightily with, with being lied to because we're raised to believe that one of the worst things a child can do is lie to you because we can point to places in the Bible where we say lying is wrong and we just and we punish children because they lie. That's um, you know, I know that's before we understood a lot of those things. Lying was a huge no-no. Well, lying still a no-no because right. we want our children to be to be honest. But we deal with it d- differently now. You know, now that my son's a teenager, I find that we end up sitting a- around the dining room table having conversations about things and sort of helping him process through stuff instead of just saying, "Oh, you lie to me." Consequence, right? Which we would have done years ago before we kind of understood the stuff. So because of what our kids believe about themselves, the world around them and the people in the world around them, there are these survival tactics in and lying is a is is a big one for people. I mean, think about you or me. I mean, even as adults, we sometimes don't tell the truth. Because telling the truth is going to create an outcome that we don't want to deal with. And I'm not talking about like a super misleading lie. I'm just talking about just enough of an altering of the truth so we just can sort of get a yes instead of getting into a discussion. Right. Well, we do that all the time to each other, and it is no different. It's still, if you're misleading somebody, you're lying to them. And it's a big deal to me when my kids do it. It's not a big deal to me when I do it because I've convinced myself I'm not actually lying, right? <laughs> but it is, and we need to look back at understanding the fact that the, dealing with the fact that the kid lied is putting a Band-Aid on a wound, Dealing with the cause and the belief system that caused them to lie is the healing of that is wound. the healing of that wound, right? right? And it's and it's doing the work that's necessary. And and healing's hard. It takes time. It can be painful. You know, you have a surgical procedure. Well, that's painful. Mm-hmm. 
But what I know is that before you had that surgical procedure, we couldn't get rid of the issue. And unless we get rid of the issue, we can't heal. Well, it's painful. It required work. It required time. It required effort. And uh, when we put all those things together, we look at it and go, you know what? I'm just going to take the phone away because they lied to me. Well, here's the thing. If you grow that relationship and you connect with your kid more and you connect with your kid on 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 a deeper level then the lying will subside over time because they will trust you more. Because I know that my, my son, he doesn't, he doesn't lie to mislead me. He lies to protect himself. Mm-hmm. He also lies because he, recount, he recounts it the way he remembered it, which, let's be honest, you know, lawyers will tell you the worst witness is an eyewitness. Right. Right? And then he also sometimes recounts it the way he wished it had happened. None of those things have evil intent behind them. We're all wired for self-preservation, right? We all have survival instincts. And so when, um, when a kid lies to you, it's not born out of their evil desire to manipulate and control you. It is born out of the survival instinct and the survival tactics that they have learned based on their belief systems. And again, we did not do anything to create those belief systems, but we are responsible to our children and the Lord for helping them change their beliefs. And you can change people's beliefs, right? That's what the word repentance means. It literally means to change your mind. Right. Paul talked about the renewing of your mind. All the neuroplasticity science talks about how your brain is malleable and can be renewed and can be regenerated. And we have to apply that thinking to our children because in order to change their behaviors, which is um, the last one here, you have to change their belief systems, right? The way they view the world themselves and adults is key to changing their behaviors. And I think changing beliefs has to be the hardest of dealing with all of these yes. of the five Bs. For a lot of our kids who haven't suffered physical abuse that has affected them long term, you know, meeting needs, those sorts of needs is relatively easy. You're always going to have food and that that will play into part of building trust. I can always go to dad and I can get food. I can always go to mom and get food. Yep. Uh, meeting, you know, meeting uh, brain needs, body needs, those things are a lot easier sometimes with our kids than changing a belief system. Yeah. Sure. I mean, think about how you romanticize sports, right? I was born in South Africa. As people are crazy about football in Texas, people are crazy about rugby in South Africa. And every little boy I knew wanted to, to be a Springbok, represent, play for the national team. In my opinion, the greatest national team that country has ever assembled was the 1981 team that toured New Zealand. Now, there's not a statistical piece of evidence that supports that claim. But they're romanticized in my mind because that's the team I fell in love with. No. That's the first team that I that I remember watching. That's the first team who I can name the starting 15 for you. So that's romantic, right? My belief about rugby in South Africa is the 1981 Springboks who toured New Zealand are the best team that has ever represented that country. Now, some might say that the team that won the World Cup in 95 was the best team. <laughs> some might say the team that won the World Cup in 2007 might be the best team. But not me. Right. No, no, no. It's the 1981 team who would get crushed by either one of those <laughs> teams. But in my belief system about something as insignificant as rugby, right? Right. But we do have these firmly held beliefs based on our experiences and how, you know, that which fires together, wires together, mm-hmm. right? All the rugby endorphins released watching the, the 81 team. That's why they're my favorites. Our kids' belief systems are like that too. And like you said, it is the hardest of all of these because, because some of these other things – 
you know, like the brain. Ask questions, re-engage the upstairs brain. There's a lot of things we can do to help my child with the sensory processing interest. Have a bath instead of a shower. Right. We're not going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Let's get some headphones on your head. Those are the simple things that we can do that really help them. But just telling them, hey, adults, you can trust adults. That's not going to alter anybody's right. belief system. Being an adult that proves himself trustworthy day after day, month after month, year after year, because the work of healing is hard. It is years and years and years. I've heard this called connected parenting. I've also heard it called investment parenting. Mm-hmm which is a great way to think about it because this is, this is, you can't be worried about the ebbs and flows of the stock market. You just got to ride it out. When the stock market's down, I can't stress about that too much because I don't have access to that money mm-hmm. for the next 30 years without tax implications in any case. Right. So we just got to kind of ride it out and know, because that's what happened in 2008. The whole portfolio just went south and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, my retirement's worth half as much right. than it was yesterday. <laughs> but you know what? It's more worth more today than it was before, you know, the crash of September '08 happened. So, parenting's kind of like that. You got to view it in terms of let's just day by day gently build and know that we're going to be in a better place 25 years from now, and right. not just think we need we need to be in a better place 25 days from now. I need to be able to trust you. Well, those are things that have come out of my mouth. Well, saying to a seven year old that I need to be able to trust <laughs> you makes me a not smart adult, right? I have to show them that they can trust me. Because it's not just that they learn to trust me, it's they learn how to be trustworthy right. as well, right? The, the vast majority of what my children will learn will only be in two ways, how to do it, how not to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I have to teach my children how to be trustworthy by being trustworthy myself. Right. Which can be very hard sometimes. Yes. Sometimes, but sometimes you mean most days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or every day. Well, however you, you know, whatever you meant. I know, you know, in our household, we've... The kids have learned that, you know, line, line makes everything worse. Okay, so you broke the thing, whatever the thing was, you know, and then you lied about breaking the thing. Okay, and I've been honest with my kids, you know, mom and dad are going to be upset when something like that happens. It's just, it's kind of natural to be upset. But we're way more upset when you lie about it afterwards than we would have been just getting that out of the way sure, in the first place. Because ultimately the thing is just a thing. Right. A lot of us, uh, you know, we live in a very material culture, and so it's easy to say the thing's just the thing until they break the thing. Right. But at the end of the day, that's kind of at our house, right? I'll say to my son, how often um, have has there been like an issue when you didn't do what you're supposed to? Not really. How often has there been an issue when you lie to us about it? Every time. Mm-hmm. And not like we make a big super deal about it, but we do at least want to kind of address to be like, hey, you know what? We'd love for you just to come and talk to us instead of hide it. Mm-hmm. Or we'd love for you just to answer honestly um, instead of instead of answer dishonestly. And so um, the last few weeks, a uh, few months probably, this really has been a noticeable improvement in the terms of in taking responsibility for himself. Because one of the things about lying that really, that's essentially my hot button issue with lying is because when you're lying, you're, you're not taking responsibility for what you did or what you said. Mm-hmm. And now he is, um, you know, his mom and I, he came to us the other night and said, hey guys, kind of took a deep breath. It was a minor thing, but it was a big thing for him to come and kind of fess up about it. And Kayla's like, oh dude, that's so awesome. Thanks for telling us the truth. <laughs> I didn't look up. I just raised my hand. He high-fived it and we were done. Right. And so he's learning the lesson that people matter more than stuff. That's right. your point, right? Right. 
which took me like 90 seconds to understand. <laughs> but that's your point. People matter more than stuff. Relationships matter more than things. And that's the lesson that we're trying to, trying to teach our children. But what we have, what they come because of that altered belief system is that things matter more than people. Stuff matters more than relationships, right? right? Because they did run through the house and bump something over and then just like, you know, were, were consequenced or, or physically punished or something for something really, really minor. And so because of the wiring, the firing and the wiring, when I break something, there are very serious consequences for me. And so five years of every time there wasn't a serious consequence, well, we're still struggling with it and we're still working through it. And we have to just take a deep breath and realize that we are probably going to have to work with this for a lot longer than most of us think. I think a lot of times what we forget about, too, is there's always a natural consequence, yeah. too, that punishment isn't necessary a lot of times. I mean, it's perfectly natural for us to feel shame when we've done something wrong. Yeah. We don't need to, as parents, compound that shame when we need to be working on healing instead. Yeah, I, th- I think that we would say that, that, that guilt is your conscience. Mm-hmm. Shame is when people pile onto that guilt. Okay. You know what I'm right. saying? So I think that's how we would normally explain because guilt's good. It's good to feel guilty when you did something wrong. That, right. that means that, that, that the Lord's working in your life. You're, you, haven't, you haven't tuned the Holy Spirit out, that you have a conscience that, that you're normal. You know what I'm saying? That you're just, just, you're just one of the guys. Um, it's, when, it's when we kind of dogpile on our kids' guilt. And I think that's a mistake a lot of us make, right? We dogpile right. on our kids' guilt, and then they do feel shame. And when people feel shame, right, it's, 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 it's the speaker who tells the joke. You want to listen to him because you feel good about him. Well, if I'm, like, making you feel like a lousy human every time we interact you're about something, listen to me, what I am guaranteeing is that you're going to lie to me next time it comes up. So we have to be very careful about that. Uh, and I feel like we could speak for, like, three hours on just lying, right? <laughs> right. But, but again, that is all born out of the belief system of how we view people and how we view the world. Yeah. And as we stated earlier, beliefs inform behaviors. Yep. So let's talk about that last B. Well, um, fortunately, because we spoke so much about beliefs, um, we can kind of wrap this one up pretty quickly. But you're right. Beliefs inform behaviors. You know, we like to say that behaviors are just an expression of a need uh, because people do have needs. And so one of the things that we're... Uh, we've sort of morphed to over the years is instead of asking our kids, what do you want? When they come to us, we say, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Because that has two positive things. Number one, it reminds me that their behavior is an expression of a need. And it reminds them that mom and dad are tuned into who they are and their needs, which is important in relationship building. So uh, you're right. Beliefs inform behaviors. Uh, if you don't believe you're going to have access to food, you will steal food. If you don't believe that adults are trustworthy, you will lie to them. So all of those things, you know, tying together. And as we mentioned earlier, that when we look at uh, these five B's, it encompasses the entirety of who a person is. And we have to realize that the impact on hard places and we can we can speak for as long as necessary. Uh, we could filibuster on this thing, but at the end of the day, what we have to accept as reality is that hard places impact the entirety of the person. Right? There is not a part of you as a person that is not impacted by your history. How I was parented at seven is how I parent at forty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, good or bad, and so we have to just take a breath. And when our kids are acting out or whatever name we assign to it at our house, dysregulated is, is one that we commonly use when we're teaching, 
we have to be able to be at a place where we can take a moment, not flip our lids, right? Right. Keep keep our upstairs and downstairs brain connected, and ask ourselves this question: What is the underlying need that my child is expressing with their behavior? What is the underlying belief system that is informing this moment? Now, I know that that's really easy for some guy to sit with a microphone in front of him one Friday to say. But that's the reality because that's what our kids need from us because we need to understand what's going on, what's being expressed, what's the belief behind the expression and parent them from that place instead of just reacting to what's going on because um, just reacting to what's going on makes it easy to say no no TV, no Xbox, no phone, whatever, whatever you're, you know, the electronic age that's the leverage parents choose to have over their children is electronics. But that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. What that says is that mom and dad will be punitive, and so I will hide things from them. And you've essentially made things worse. I want my children to come to me with issues because I want my children to understand that whatever the issue is, there is not an issue that is too big for us to to work through together. Now, if you cut your finger off, obviously, I mean, there are physical realities that I can't undo. But relational things... We can work on, and they're hard, you know, made the analogy of marriage earlier, that, yeah, there are times when relationally with your spouse, you have to work through things. Right. So, you know, and sometimes they're hard, you know, processing bad news. You've got to work through that. You know, we just found out one of our dogs has cancer. Well, that dog predates children. She's a very important right. part of our family. She's been like a she's been like a therapy dog for foster kids over the years. She is so many people have have come out of their shells because of this dog interacting with them and she's protected the babies and stuff and when the doctor said to me, Your dog has cancer I was choking back the tears. Mm-hmm. She's very important to us. But we've had to process that as a family. My wife and I, she predates having children. We've had to tell our children they don't know a world in which this dog does not Doesn't live. Exist, right. And so as a family, that's, that was hard. Our kids cried. But we've had to process that together. And that's the reality of what we need to teach our children is that no matter what you do, say, or believe, no matter how hard it is, because we've had hard, hard conversations with our kids about their histories and stuff they've told us that they've experienced, no matter what you have done, you know, it's, it's what Jesus says to us. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care what you've done. When you turn around and head home, You'll see me standing in the road waiting for you. It's not like I'm sitting down, you know, feasting and stuff. The story of the prodigal son, the the father, and we don't have time to get into the the cultural context of it, but for the wealthy father to be running in the street towards his son was probably the most undignified thing and was probably a scandalous detail to the original audience. Mm -hmm. They would struggle hearing that. But we need to have the love, we have the Abba Father love for our kids, right? They need to know that no matter what the case is, uh, we are standing there with our arms wide open waiting for them. And I think that's a good uh, place to wrap up. I would like to thank Ryan for being on the podcast today. If you have a question for us that will fit into 140 characters, you may tweet it to us at tapestryibc. If you require a bit more room, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You may also find us on Facebook at Tapestry IBC. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. You can also subscribe directly from our website, tapestryministry.org. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 